I think I'm electronic, yes? Okay. Well, we are continuing our, our brief search through Psalm 119. And uh, I hope you were paying attention to the passages of Scripture that were just read for us and uh, the promises that are given in both of those passages in Isaiah 55, 11 and in uh, Psalm 19 that really reflect a lot of the promises and truths of Psalm 119. And as we, we've been looking at this song, we looked at it in terms of attitudes and choices that God calls us to in this passage. Um, and now we're looking at the promises. The outcomes that this passage points us to, expect points us to, desire points us to uh, be investing in and harvesting from our time in the Word. So that if we, if we come into the Word with those attitudes of seeking, we go into the Word of God desiring and longing for that truth. We go into the Word of God where we're ready to walk in the things. We go in the Word where we're ready to learn and we're teachable. We go into the Word actually loving the things that God's telling us, even when they're hard, even when they challenge us. We go into the Word with all those mindsets of attitude and with all those commitments to meditate and ponder and share and, and keep living deeper and deeper in these truths. Then God promises that certain things will be accomplished in our life. And so we're going to just begin looking at some of those outcomes this morning. And if you will turn, if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, that you'll have Psalm 119 in front of you as we're looking at these things. And one of the first categories there, I don't know that this is true because I would have to walk through it again, but I, I did a quick count. And, and I would say there's about 40 outcomes spread through this song. Some of them were said slightly different ways, a whole lot of them overlap, but there's about 35 to 40 things that God is saying, expect this. If you're immersed in the word of God with these attitudes and these choices, expect these things. But what I'm gonna to try to do is try to put a few of them in, in some categories. So the first category I wanna look at is what is promised, what are the outcomes for spiritual victory that Psalm 119 challenges us to pursue and be expecting out of the Word of God. And if you'll look at verse 3, they also do no unrighteousness. They walk in His ways. You've ordained your precepts that we should keep them diligently. Oh, that my ways may be established to keep your statutes. Then I shall not be ashamed when I look upon all your commandments. And several things I want to pull out of that, and obviously just the first really big one, he's saying something about the Word of God doing its work in me and my immersion in that is leading me toward no unrighteousness. Unless Anybody in the room get discouraged and go, I'm not there yet. That's not a reason for discouragement. That's a reason for growth. Nobody's 
there yet. Nobody has reached the point of sinless perfection. Nobody. Even Paul himself in Philippians 3 said, I, I see that perfect high calling in Christ. I press on, forgetting what lies behind. I keep agreeing with God to go in this direction. I'm not there yet, but I keep going. So if Paul could acknowledge in humility that he had not yet arrived, that he was not there yet, you and I just get to peacefully, humbly acknowledge, I'm not there yet, but I'm in agreement with God to keep going in that direction. And he says this too, that my ways would be established. And what this concept means for us, and I, and I know that many of you have pursued this and, and envisioned this and that this is part of your heart toward God, but part of what God is describing and saying, Father, I'm, I'm praying that as I immerse myself in the word with these choices, these attitudes, that I would become stable in living a life that's pleasing to you. So this is about stability. This is about maturity. So that more and more and more, as you and I face temptation, as we face challenges in life, more and more and more we could predict, I'm going to end up choosing an agreement with God. Some of the ways I once chose with the enemy, I'm overcoming those and more and more consistently, I choose an agreement with God. I'm getting more and more rooted and grounded and established and stable in, in this mindset of agreement with God, actually running my day, running my thoughts, running my behavior, running my relationships. I'm established in my ways, and obviously it's because my ways now grow from his ways. I keep aiming for this. And if you drop down to verse nine, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart, I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. And so a couple of concepts here. Obviously, there's just the concept of moral purity, of growing to not sin. And this puts it real clear, every sin is a choice against God. And we know that, but it's worth recognizing to, to clarify our devotion, to clarify what's at stake every time we, we make a choice. And the more immersed I am, because again, and we touched on this last week, but here it is again, that recognition, this isn't just because I know Bible verses, it's because those truths are being treasured in my life. So as I, as I ended last week, I'm going to reiterate that challenge for each of you and for myself that we would look, you know, where are the areas where I'm weak? Where are the areas where I'm unstable? Where are the areas where I slide into doubt or fear or sin or, or just coolness or distance to God? What are the things in my life that, that just lower my appetite for the things of God, the things in my life that make me not want to hear from them. I need to gather an honest awareness of where my life is 
and then to aggressively go get the word of God that applies to that area. Not just generic truth. So if I'm going to learn, if I'm going to study six or seven passages this week, and I know I'm struggling in the area of fear, boy, I better go about six or seven passages that are about fear. And that way I'm not studying something that I already feel pretty good at. And I don't mean not studying it, but I'm not consoling myself by ignoring my true challenges and just patting myself on the back for the things I already know and do. So this is a real, a real issue of wise battle that if I want to grow in moral purity, I'm going to grow in not sinning. I'm going to grow in his ways. I'm going to overcome unrighteousness in my life. And one of the things, we just sang the song um, about overcoming fear. That as we are in Christ, now we are seated in Christ at the right hand of the Father. And Romans 8 says that you've not received a, a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've inherited a spirit of adoption as sons and daughters of God. And now you can call the God of the universe your Abba Father. And so, again, I think that gets to be one of our wisdoms and challenges in this. This is not just about, am I not doing bad stuff? But am I reflecting thoughts and confidence and agreement with God about the things that he says are true in my new position, my identity in Christ? Am I agreeing with him? So if somebody could, uh, so for example, if uh, Carrie and I are talking about budget, or we're talking about the last year and how we're gonna face the year ahead. And if somebody could just have a, a hidden microphone in that, don't you dare do that. <laughs> if somebody had a, a hidden microphone and then they could analyze our conversation. What God is saying is if this is, if this is growing, they wouldn't hear fear. It doesn't mean fear might not come up, but they wouldn't hear the rain and the sovereignty of fear. That they would hear us say, oh, you know what, I'm sort of afraid of this, but let's remember who our Father is. Let's look back and see how He's taking care of us through all the decades of marriage and actually all the decades of life, even before marriage. We have a faithful Father. So while we're looking at genuine uncertainties, and, and I bet most of your lives have some areas of uncertainty, finances, health, career, education, relationships. There are areas of uncertainty. And the enemy is right there to go, you know, that's a little scary. That, all that uncertainty, that's sort of scary. You should be afraid. And God's going, that's actually moral impurity to go live and think like an orphan when I've already promised you, you're my son, you're my daughter, I'm a faithful father. And we just finished singing that triumphantly and it was a, a wonderful uplifting of praise. I'm no longer a slave to fear. It doesn't mean I'm not tempted by fear, but I don't bow down and worship fear. You and I are not called to bow down and worship fear but to bow down and worship God and then put fear in its place under the feet of Jesus in real life terms. And that's like 
a brother-sister, a parent-child, a husband-wife conversation, a friend-friend, that when we recognize fear in the conversation or fear in the mindset, that we remind each other, hey, well, let's remember, we got to deal with this realistically. We don't have to be... Um, we don't have to be foolish or immature in the way we handle the uncertainties and challenges of life, but we better not remain afraid if we're seeking the wisdom and the help and the provision of God. Now, I also want to look at a, another area. And actually, we could keep going. There, there are many passages throughout, uh, many verses throughout Psalm 119 that talk about this victory that we should, we should expect to defeat the enemy we should expect to grow in righteousness. We should expect to grow in the character of Jesus Christ. But if you go down to verse 25, he says, my soul cleaves to the dust. Revive me according to your word. So along with spiritual victory, This passage has quite a bit to say about spiritual revival, restoration. We, we won't go there and read it, but in Psalm 139, which happens to be my favorite psalm for some reason, I, there are reasons. Uh, my journey through life has made that psalm very precious to me. But one of the things David says there uh, is, well, actually, let's go there. Okay. Psalm 139. Gosh, where, where do I start? I don't want to read the whole thing. But uh, right now, well, let's start. Let's start with first one. <laughs> but I'm going to try not to read the whole thing. He says, "Oh Lord, you've searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down, and are intimately acquainted with all my ways." Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all. You've enclosed me behind and before you've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. And he goes on and describes how the Holy Spirit and the hand of God reaches us wherever we go. And we'll come back to that thought later. But if you drop down to verse 16. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me. When as yet there was not one of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. So that David here is describing this intimate knowledge of God about you. God knows your thoughts. He knows your struggles. He knows what you're going to be facing today. He knows where you're going to feel depleted or deprived. And, and along with this, I want to tie it together with Psalm 51. So let's go to Psalm 51 for a second. I'm sorry, guys, I didn't give you this passage ahead of time. I didn't realize we'd be going there, but let's go there. In Psalm 51. Verse 
Let's start in verse 10. Psalm 51, 10. Created me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. And I like the humility and, and the neediness shared openly with God that David is expressing here. Psalm 51 was written after David had confessed his sin of adultery with Bathsheba to God. And this is his psalm of repentance and restoration. And what he's praying is, Father, you and I have enjoyed incredible joy of intimacy and relationship. And I broke it. My sin broke the joy of our intimacy. My sin broke it. You didn't pull away. I pulled away. And now as he confesses his sin, David is praying, restore to me the joy of my salvation. He doesn't say, give me back my salvation. It's helping to get back in line with the amazing celebration of what I share with you so that it fills my thinking and pulls me out of the, the gutter of depression or hopelessness or self-condemnation that I agree with you that what we share together is joyful. Even though I've sinned, you have forgiven it and dealt with it. Now, I will ask for a show of hands on this one. I'm not going to ask if you've committed adultery. That's not the question. <laughs> How many of you have ever felt depleted, deprived, <coughs> a little empty, a little desolate, and your heart cried to God was, Father, revive my spirit. Father, restore my joy. A lot of hands going up. I've definitely been there. And part of what God is promising is, I'm on that. If you come immerse your thinking in my word, I will be accomplishing that restoration. If you come with these attitudes, you come with these actions, you come with this mindset, then here's one of my promises. I will be accomplishing revival and restoration. But verse 28, back to Psalm 119, by the way. He says, my soul weeps because of grief. Strengthen me according to your word. And again, I, I like the contrast here that as I'm going to God for, for spiritual restoration, that when I grieve, part of what I need from God, along with comfort, I need fresh strength. And that means that I get to take my griefs and my sorrows, whether I'm grieving over my own sin, I'm grieving over spiritual defeat in the lives of people that I care about and that I'm praying about. I just see how broken the universe is. And one of the things that I, I know we've talked about before, but I, I really believe in whether it's politics, whether it's the economy, whether it's you know world international relations, there are plenty of things for us to look around the world and grieve because they're broken. They are not the way God designed them to be. And God expresses in the word that he grieves over that brokenness. One day everyone answers to him for how we contribute 
to the brokenness, but the brokenness grieves him. Jesus grieved in front of Lazarus' tomb. Death was never supposed to happen to his creation. And Jesus grieved. You and I get to grieve. But we get wisdom here where we're recognizing when there is something either in my life or the lives of those I love or in the world and the universe around me and it leads me to grief, I get to go to God for strength. Think how incredible that is. That the enemy would be right there to go, well, you know what, if you got a lot to grieve about, that's going to sort of wear you down. And it does. And then God's saying, but bring your grief to me, and I'm going to do something amazing and personal and loving and supernatural. The very fact that you came to me with your grief and you immersed your grief in the truth of my word, I will actually strengthen you to face the things that you're grieving over. You will not go through those griefs alone. And because he brings you strength, you will not go through those things hopeless. It will not be a hopeless endeavor for you to grieve. Now, the, the simplest answer to all of our griefs is that everything broken, everything broken is temporary. Everything broken is temporary. Thank God, literally. One day, with our own eyes, like Job says, with my own eyes, I will see my Savior return. With my own eyes, I will be there for the full restoration of the universe. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, with your own eyes, you will be there for the full restoration of the universe. That is a real thing. And over and over again, Scripture God says, now picture that real thing, because it will change the way you face the apparently hopeless moments of life when you realize they're not actually hopeless, but I get to grieve. They're broken and they're temporary, and I will be here with my own eyes, Father. I will be here when Jesus Christ sets it right. That is a real day, a real event. Now, I'm going to look at one other area here. If you go to verse 97 of Psalm 119. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies. They are ever mine. And I love that. That comes up. We'll bump into that again. I, I love that one of the things that the psalmist is saying here is he's saying, as I look into all the treasures of your word, I take ownership of what I'm reading. They are mine. If you belong to Jesus Christ, seriously, please, if you belong to Jesus Christ and you see amazing promises and you see hard to conceive of amazing things that God is promising to those who trust him, that you and I would have the wisdom to say, Father, even if I'm not there yet, that belongs to me. That's mine. And the enemy will be there to go, well, not you. You're disqualified. It belongs to other Christians who are more faithful than you. It belongs to other Christians that are more deserving than you. And the bottom line is, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, these promises, these treasures literally belong to you. They are your inheritance in Christ. This belongs to you. And we get to own it. 
He goes on and says, I have more insight than all my teachers for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged because I have observed your precepts. So the part of what, what some of these passages will also be leading us toward is wisdom and illumination. I love that word. Illumination for real life. So if all we do is sit in our study and get more and more smart about Bible stuff, and we know more and more things about the history of Israel, and we know more and more things about how to analyze words in the Greek and the Hebrew, and it doesn't translate into wisdom for real life, we're staring at a full meal while, while we eat candy. Eat the meal. Mm -hmm. Digest the meat and the bread and the milk, the nourishment of the word. Because he's saying it'll lead to real wisdom. Now, there's several things I want to notice here. He says, your commandments make me wiser than my enemies. Wiser compared to my enemies. Running out of space there. It also gives me more insight compared to my teachers. And it also gives me more understanding than the agent. Do we have any agent in the room? Yeah, here we are. So the agent can also have more wisdom than the agent if we're in the Word of God. But what he's saying is the normal ways that humans separate people into superior and inferior, in this realm of wisdom, they do not apply. Just because somebody's been studying religious stuff longer, just because someone has more decades of life, just because someone thinks they're powerful against you, God's saying, don't, don't fear that, don't worry about, and don't you dare accept the definition of inferiority over those things. Just like Paul tells uh, Timothy, he says, let no one despise you for your youth. And one of the things I would want to say to, to all of our young people, seriously, and, and us old, but I really want to challenge our young people, figure this out yeah. as the definition of your life. That you want to be wiser than your enemies. Your enemy for the first realm is Satan himself. You're intended to defeat him. But as you go through life and you go through life, as every one of our young people goes through life, God's actually promising, I have wisdom for you and you will be able to defeat the enemy. I have insight for you. And even your teacher, somebody who, who claims to know more, if they're not immersed in the Word of God, I will actually give you more insight. This is not about arrogance. This is not about human pride. This is not about disrespect or trying to prove you know more than somebody. This is about the humility of, of being a student of the heart, mind, and spirit of God for real life and then living wiser than the aged or, or the strong or the experienced and the learned around you who don't treasure that word.
Now, when you go to Sunday school, that teacher is wiser than you. Digest all that. But God's talking about when you're out in the world, figure this out. Decide that as a young person, you want the treasure of God's thinking in your thinking. You want the treasure of God's cautions and warning keeping you from driving off cliffs. I, I know I've told this story um, at least once, but my brothers and I, there's four of us, my brothers and I were sitting around one night, and we've done this more than once, just swapping all the story, all the stories of the stupid things we've done through life. I realize most of you have never done stupid things, but my brothers and I got it covered. And and as we're swapping stories, man, I can't believe I did this. And remember when I did that stupid thing? And and we're also celebrating the fact that God has rescued us from a lot of that stupidity and foolishness. But one of the things we noticed as the as the evening progressed is that Ron, Dell, and Red had stupid stories. Jim, the youngest, I can't remember which one of us looked at him and said, Jim, you don't have any stupid stories. And even though he could have just kept that as a, a lighthearted moment, he took it seriously when he said, I paid attention to your lives. <laughs> seriously. He said, I learned from the mistakes that each of you made. And I just determined with God to avoid that. And he didn't try to preach at us, or it, it, I promise you, there was no sense of spiritual superiority in the way he said that. It was just a very practical wisdom. I paid attention, and I didn't have to drive off that cliff. I watched Ron drive off that cliff. I didn't have to put myself in the gutter over here because I watched Reg go in that gutter. And I didn't have to blow that blow up in my face because I, I watched Dell get blown across the room when that blew up in his face. I learned wisdom. Now the cool thing is, you get to go straight to the Word of God and learn that wisdom, which Jim also did. And that, that was the core of why he learned from our foolishness. That was the core. So you do not have to go recreate your parents' foolishness. Um, just a quick aside to parents. I've known parents that tried to hide the stories of their foolishness from their kids. First of all, it usually doesn't work. They see through that. But what's even better is to tell them about the foolishness and then describe how God rescued you from the foolishness itself and the consequences of that foolishness and taught you wisdom that you're walking today. You do not have to apologize for learning wisdom from your mistakes because that's how most of us learn wisdom. But you're trying to help them learn from it by hearing your anguish or your sorrow or your grief when you did it. We get to be honest with our children about our foolishness, our sin, our history, that we're not presenting to them a false image that we sort of arrived here full grown. Boy, is that a lie anyway. So we get to, we get to let our children in on the secret that we got wherever we are as believers, we got here through a journey. And I don't mean you have to give them a 27 chapter detail story of all of them, nitty gritty details. Let them know what you did, what you learned, and how God accomplished bringing you to where you are. And so young or old, we get to recognize 
In the word of God, there is wisdom and guidance for me. I want to actually say one other thing. I know we're out of time, but I want to go to the end of the chapter for a second. In verse 176, and we'll end with this. It may take 20 minutes, but we'll end with this. <laughs> I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. And one thing I love about this is, is the psalmist is honest. I have times when I go astray. I have times when I turn to the left or the right, and I should have kept going straight. I have times when I slow down and I should have charged ahead. I have times when I turn back and I should have kept going in this direction. I go astray. And I love both the prayer and, and the, the confidence in this. But he's saying, when I do that, here's what I'm asking of you. I'm going to immerse myself in your word so you can rescue me. Seek me. Seek me. And again, that's where that Psalm 139 really matters to me. Again, well, actually, let's go to Psalm 139 one more time. Now I'm going to read a part I, I skipped before on purpose. Let's start at verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are light to you. And I, I refer to this passage pretty frequently because I feel like those verses are the story of my rescue. That I made my bed in hell and God with his right hand reached out, got a hold of me, never let go of me, and eventually pulled me back in. And so that wisdom for you, whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're dealing with, that you get to say, you know what, Father, I want to go deep into your word so that I can hear what you're offering. I want to keep going into your word, even if I feel like I'm holding you at arm's length. And I, and I work with people in counseling that agree to this. I've had people who said, you know, I don't want to repent. I like my sin. I'm going to stay here. And yet they simply agreed they would start reading and pondering the word of God. That, that's my signal to end soon. <laughs> and that recognition that if I'm listening to God, I will get to hear that His right hand is treasuring me, holding me, and drawing me in. Let's pray together. Father, I do thank you that you mean this stuff. Father, you mean this stuff. You weren't just waxing eloquent and poetic and just trying to say interesting, eloquent things. You were speaking powerful truth. Other ways that you had prepared your word to give us victory in, in our lives, to give us wisdom and direction and illumination in our life, to revive us and restore us and call us back to yourself when we stumble and fall. And we do, Father, every one of us. We stumble, we slow down, we get diverted. 
and you just don't change, and as you've promised in your word, you just don't give up on us. Help us to trust in that enough that we would go into the word looking for that restoration, looking for that revival, looking for that victory. And Father, I thank you that even when we doubt it, you are still so gracious. Help us to go into your word anyway while we doubt so that you can even melt our doubts. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.